0: All right, the book of 2 Peter. If I find my notes on it, we'll start. <laughs> and if I don't find my notes on it, we'll start also. Where did they go? Put the a Bible cover out, Renee. I may have stuck them in there. I can preach without notes, you guys know that, but I just get insecure without them. There they are at the back. 2 Peter. Now, 2 Peter is a book written, obviously, by Simon Peter. And you guys all know about Simon. He was quite a character. The book was written, as far as people can tell, it's about 66 A.D., which is um, 30-some years after Christ died. So Christianity is really getting a good foothold here. The book of Second Peter is written to the church. Now, there are books like the book of James that is not written to you and I. okay? And we'll come through those things. The book of Hebrews is not written to you and I. Uh, the book of Matthew is not written to you or I. And there are New Testament books that are not written to you and I. The, those books are written to Jews. The Bible says in James 1.1, 1, 1, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. If you study the book of James very carefully, you have a real problem putting it in what we believe. Not because the Bible contradicts itself to the simple fact that um, uh, we, we believe wrong, the simple fact is written to somebody else. Martin Luther had the greatest problem with... Um, reconciling James chapter 2 faith plus works, and he, and he even said we want to take that take it out of the bible because it's not right what what brother Luther forgot to uh to take into account was who is the book written to now second Peter is written to the church now if you want to jot this down on the top of your bible I want you to be a note-taking bunch I want to do that the best way I can we don't have the facilities to do things I'd like to do but um we uh, look forward to, in the future, supplying you with some things to, to help you aid you in your study of God's Word. Now, Second Peter, the theme of Second Peter is basically this, as we're going to look at. There are several themes, but probably the predominant theme of Second Peter is the believer and apostasy. The believer and apostasy. If you want to write that above it, the theme of the book is believer and apostasy. Say, what is apostasy? An apostate is one who knows the truth and then rejects it. Okay, an apostate is one who has known the truth and rejects it. So this book is here to warn us about being an apostasy or how to live in an apostate world, a world that has known what is right and then rejected it. Okay, and if you want to look at that thing and put a verse down, look at chapter 3 and verse 17, 2 Peter 3, 17. The Bible says, "Ye therefore, beloved, this is the last two verses of the book. Seeing ye know these things before, lest or beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall into your own steadfa- fall from your own steadfastness." You see, he says, "Beware." He says, "You guys know the things I've just written to you." He says, "But beware, beware, beware." In fact, in the first chapter, Peter says that I, 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 don't, don't, uh, I don't mind writing the same things to you again and again because he says, I'm going to die here real quick, and after I'm dead, I want you always to be in remembrance of these things in 1.15. He says that. So he's teaching them uh, almost again the first things or the things you need to do to live godly in Christ Jesus in a world that's out to eat you in a world that's out to destroy you. And what better place for a new church to start of a group of believers than at a place and an admonition to live holy in this world amongst a world who's not? Amongst a Christianity who's not rightly dividing the word of truth, amongst a Christianity who's not feeding the believer and building the believer, believer up, who would rather just try and turn your head with some wild doctrine and make you follow a doctrine than a man, Jesus Christ. And so henceforth, we're going to start in 2 Peter and look at this thing and take it and verse by verse and just come through it and um, uh, begin to lay some things out for you to live your life. Now, let me say this. The purpose of our, this is quote, quote unquote church. It looks just like Sunday school did, but it is a church, okay? The purpose of our church service is, is this and only this, to give you something to go out and live with. Nothing short of that. We're not looking to Sunday school. If we're going to dazzle, you'll we'll be in Sunday school or on Sunday nights in Bible study. We'll da- You want to be dazzled, we'll give you plenty of Bible to dazzle you, okay? So our purpose here is to give you some meat. You can leave here full and ready to go out and do some work. you ever go try to go out and cut a quarter of wood when you hadn't eaten? Before your stomach starts growling, pushing your arms get weak, don't they? Your legs start aching, and you think, man, I just can't. You go out and you eat a nice, big, round sirloin with a big, great big baked potato, big bunch of mashed potatoes, you know, cream uh, uh, you know, on top, and, 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 and a big couple of ears of corn with homemade butter, and you guys say, shut up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then you go out, and you just, you'll tackle that wood, and you'll do a job, won't you? You sure will. So what we want to do is we want to give you a good, long, strong meal right now. This is what we've assembled, right here, to give you something to go out there and live by, okay? Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant and apostle. just want to point out a couple of things. That if you'll study your New Testament epistles, and by the way, an epistle is not an apostle's wife, just in case there's a, there's a thought about that, okay? I've heard many say that an epistle is an apostle's wife, and that's not true. Um, Peter's wife did not, did not write this thing, although you know, Peter, how many people know Peter was married? Let me see your hand. If you're Roman Catholic in here, they'll say Peter was never married. There's a I had a preacher friend who went to um I went went to, the, went to the Vatican in Rome, and he uh, he uh, went to the he was going through the guide, and he said, well, this is the place where Peter's laid, where he's apparently got his body or something over there, and he said, this is the place where Peter's, and he said, well, where's his wife buried? And the guy said, well, Peter wasn't married. He was the first pope, and he wasn't married. And and the guy said, well, my Bible says in Matthew that that uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and the Jews had to go heal her. And it's tough to have and all that on the wife. I mean, I just, this is just a real tough way to go. So Peter was married, but the, his wife did not write this book, okay? Um, notice the Bible says that in the, in the, in the, many times a servant, Paul starts his books out. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter says here, I'm a servant and an apostle. Now I not you to notice the order that Peter puts that thing in. You know what most preachers today would do when they wrote a book? They'd walk in, they'd say, and I used to love having, when I had my youth department, I had a lot of big budget. And I flew preachers in to preach to my kids, and it was great. You know, I had a lot of money. I used to always want to bring my, my, my preacher friend in to preach, you know. And I always say, this is Brother So-and-So. Brother So-and-So has such a big work and does this, and just butter the guy up real good. Can not preach to do that? This is Dr. Johnson, you know. And Dr. John has his PhD from Talbot Theological Seminary. He has master's degree from, you know, from you know, and they, you don't know talk about, and they do this thing, don't they? And they just bottle each other up. So Peter walks in and he says, Hi guys, I'm Simon Peter. I'm a servant. Oh, and i around an apostle too. See that? He said, I'm a servant. I am dead to self. Whatever the boss says, I do. Remember old Peter said, the Lord said, um, I'm going to wash your guys' feet. Peter said, Uh-uh, Lord. Uh-uh i gonna let you wash my feet. And Jesus just very politely said, Son, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Hard words, aren't they? Really tough words. You see, the Bible says that whosoever be greatest among you, let him be your servant. For the person who's least here is greatest up there. And the person who's greatest here is least up there. That's why they call us ministers. Now think of that word. You know, we like to use the word Clergy. Here's that word clergy. Where'd that word ever come from? Well, it's Roman Catholic to begin with, but but, but the point of the matter is this. I'm your minister. You know what That means if anybody doesn't any have footworsh in this congregation, it's me. Why? Because my name will go on the sign outside the church when we have a we get a church, right? That will make me lift it up? Well then I better counterbalance that thing, hadn't I? I better be a servant. I'd better be at the hospital when you're sick, and I'd better be taking care of you. And if you had a food, I'd better be able to give you food, hadn't I? I'd be ministering to you. That's the thing that Peter says. He says, hey, guys. He could have said, I'm the Apostle Peter. I'm the one that founded the church of Jerusalem. I'm the one who made the great decisions and, and, and the councils of Jerusalem. You know, he didn't say that. He says, hey, brothers, I'm, I'm I'm Simon Peter. I'm a servant. Oh, and by the way, I'm an apostle also. The apostle is the highest thing you could be, you know, unless you're Mormon. Uh, let's go on. The Bible's got to say. Now I want you to notice a couple things about Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a rather brazen guy, wasn't he? Simon Peter spent more time with his foot in his mouth than he did with his foot in his shoe. He really did. Simon Peter was the kind of guy that he just always sticking his foot in his mouth. Turn back to Matthew chapter 17. Keep your finger on second, Peter. We're obviously coming back there. Turn back to Matthew chapter 17. And I hope you've got a Bible that doesn't have a cheap binding because we're going to use our Bibles a lot in this dear congregation. Matthew 17, ah, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Now, I taught you guys this here about, about three or four weeks ago about Matthew 17. And what did I tell you Matthew 17 was a picture of? You say, you're going to do this every service, ask what you've already taught us. Yeah. Second coming. You remember we talked about that Jesus said in John 17, Lord, or Father, let them see me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Matthew chapter 17 is a picture or a pre-glimpse of the second coming of Jesus Christ. They saw Jesus Christ with the glory he had before the foundations of the world. Matthew 17, 1, and After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a where? High mountain. Did we talk about mountain this morning? High mountain apart. Where are they at? The last word of the verse. What's the last word of verse 1? Do you mean that if I am going to meet God, I've got to be a part? You know what God hit me with this week? Well, Lord, I got my dinner chores done. I got things done. Well, Lord, it's 10, 30 mashes over, 11 o'clock mashes over. I guess I'll study my Bible. And you open your Bible up and you spend 15, 20 minutes and your eyes and get heavy and 11, 30, quarter to 12, you go, hey, I'm going to bed, Lord. You know what Moses did when he went to me, God? He packed his lunch and went for 40 days and 40 nights. Didn't he? He said, now, Lord, I'm not squeezing you into my schedule. I'm working my schedule around you, God. If you were to call Pastor Adams today, and he's a, we're doing anything in the world for you, you just don't call Pastor Adams. He's an important man. You just don't call Pastor Adams and say, Pastor, I need to see you at 11 o'clock Tuesday. He just, you say, Pastor, what can you see me? I can see you at 11 o'clock Tuesday or whatever you can see, right? Now, if there's a dire emergency, he'd work his schedule around you. But the point of the matter is, we don't make... You know what we do? We make God at our convenience. And this is not part of the message, but I just just jumped out at me. When you're going to go see God, when you're going to behold the second coming glory, if you say, Dave, I want to know what the second coming's like. I want to behold Jesus Christ in the second coming glory. I want to understand what he's going to be like when he comes in that white horse. I want to understand the gleanings when he comes in the threshing machine. Dave, I want to understand what it's going to be like when the king is high and lifted up on his throne of the millennium. Dave, I want to understand how the Jews are going to come in and out in the millennium and take a a, a one-man of fruit off of the tree every every month of the 12 gates and the whole nine yards. I want to understand that stuff. You know how you do that? How hey, you see his glory? You see his glory by going up into a mountain apart. Do you know why camps work so well for young people? Because we take them apart. Do you know why retreats work so well for people? Because we take them apart, and we take them out of the world. Unfortunately, some of you came in this morning with 61 country blaring. And the last words you heard as you got out of your car, or your truck was, "I'm going to sleep with," and you turned it off." And you came in with your mind full of adultery, not consciously, but you came in with your mind with your mind full of the world. Now let me ask you a question. If you've got that garbage in your mind, and you're, you're, you're been thinking, you've been listening to songs about sleeping with somebody else's wife, why in the world would you then expect God to come in and give you a blessing? Point made? God said, I'm going to take you into a high mountain apart. And look what happens when they got apart. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. You mean if I will get afloat with God and turn everything else off and make him first, then God will do something in my life? God will be transfigured in front of me? I was not attempting to do this, but let me show you how that thing goes in your study. 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'm going to have a tough time preaching here. I can tell already. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I believe. I'm so sorry. Make a second, Corinthians chapter 3. Now, what happened in John 17, or Matthew 17? Didn't Jesus Christ show us His glory? Amen. He showed Him His glory. He was transfigured, right? And they fell down like they were dead in front of Him. Look at 2 Corinthians 3 17. Now, the Spirit is that, the Lord is that Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass, what? The glory of the Lord are changed into the same, what? Image. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what that Bible says? When God shows you the glory, his glory in this book, you know what God does? God changes you into his glory. He changes you. Do you know how a Bible definition, you become like Christ? By seeing his glory and changing. That's the only way. So henceforth, you've got to go apart. Now look what the Bible says, verse Matthew 17, 3. Sit on him, please. Matthew 17, 3. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Now here's Peter. old buddy who wrote the book. Lord, it is good for us to be here. What? Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt... Let us, make the, let us make here three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. You know what Peter's saying? Boy, Lord, you're lucky I was here. Now that I'm here, I can build you a temple worthy of your glory. If, if you're willing, that is, Lord. See it? Boy, you're sure lucky I was here, Lord. Lord, he says, he says it is good for us to be here. Lord, we can put big gold foundations on it, Lord. We can make big, big archways, God, and pillars. Lord, we, and if we, we're just lucky we happened to be here with you, Lord, and we saw your glory. He says, and then if you will, we'll make one for you, and then we'll make one for Moses and one for Elijah. Well, that's a pretty pompous boy, isn't it? He just saw the second coming of God to the earth to reign as king. Just saw him in all the glory the sun's going to get. Well, I'm sure glad I was here to see this, Lord. Turn over again, one more place. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. He's about to die. He's going to go to the, um, going to go to the uh, uh, cross here, the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 31. The Bible says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Then, answered, but then P- Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Well, Peter was. Could we name Peter the proud? Could we name him that? Could go name Peter? Peter was a pretty, pretty pompous young man, wasn't he? Lord, I don't care what happens, Lord. If everybody leaves you, I'll be there. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never be offended. Boy, that's something, isn't it? You guys remember the story? Cock-a-doodle-doo! 3 times, right? Look at John chapter 21. Fourth book of the New Testament. John 21. John 21. Oh, man, this has got to be one of the most Bone-crushing passages in the Scripture. If your name is Simon Peter, John 21:15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou uh, me more than these? And he saith unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. you see a different tone there? you see a different thing? Peter had just come by about 30 or 40 days earlier. And just denied him three times. When they said, aren't you one of the Galileans? He cursed. And said they didn't know him. Peter changed man, didn't he? Now, there are three men in Scripture that we see this transformation like this. The the theme of the book of 1 Peter, we're not studying the book before, is humility. Peter talks about holiness making you humble about God humbling you and making you trust God. You know what Peter became? He went from Peter the proud to Peter the humble. God changed him in 35 years. God took him and changed him. We see another man in Scripture, John, St. John, Saint John you, know? you know? You know what they called him in, in the early part of Matthew? The sons of thunder. James and John, the sons of thunder. I mean, can't you imagine two big old burly fishermen Come walking in here and say, Oh, boys, how's it going? I mean, they must have thundered. They must have been hell-raising, bar-clearing guys, man. Hadn't they? You know what the Bible calls him later on? The Beloved. The man laid his head on Jesus' breast. The man to whom Jesus said, Son, see thy mother, when he was hanging on the cross and gave his mother to John to take care of. You know what the Bible calls him? the apostle whom Jesus loved. Changed lives, huh? Let's go on. You know another one? Paul. You realize Paul was a lawyer that studied under the greatest men of his time? Paul went from from the man who tied the cummin and tied the little mint balls. They used to raise mint in their house. And they would get little mint balls. And they would take 10, ten mint balls in there. And they would take one off and give it to God. And even tied the parts of their houseplants. Legalists. And Paul went from a man who was strictly by the book, out killing anybody who didn't believe like he believed, throw him in jail. Paul the legalist. You know what he became? Paul the apostle of grace. Paul the man who wrote the great great book of Ephesians about how we're saved by grace, not by works. Paul wrote the, book, the great book of Galatians on how that, how that we're no longer under the law, but under grace. Now that God saves us despite us, Amen. You know what God does? God changes lives. In in John in, in uh, Matthew 17, if Peter would have wrote 2 Peter, I'm not. Don't turn there. You know what he said? Peter said, "Peter Simon Peter, the disciple and apostle of Jesus." And 35 years later, he says, "Simon Peter." A servant and an apostle. He's changed. He's a transformed man. Transformed man. Turn back to Second Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained life. Precious faith. What's faith? Somebody quit. Pull out of your vast resources of Bible knowledge. Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, that, that's a tough verse. I've got to tell you, that verse is wicked. That verse says that faith is the substance of the things you hope for and the evidence of the things you don't see. You can't see. So if I can't see something, heaven, but I see the evidences of it around, I believe in heaven. You can't prove to me there's a God. I sure see his handiwork everywhere. I believe in him because I see the things he made. Romans 1.20 again. The substance of things hoped for, don't you know this? This is a good-looking body, isn't it? Isn't this one of the best looking male physiques you ever saw in your life? Isn't it? I mean, be honest with me. <laughs> you know something? This is going to be just like Jesus one of these days. I'm going to be able to transport from star to star in a thought. I'm going to walk through that wall. We am going to eat all I want to eat. I mean, anything i want to do, I'm going to be like God. You know what I'm doing? I'm hoping for that substance. I'm hoping for that thing. I believe it's going to happen. Have faith. Now, you know what the Bible says? Turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. This morning, we're going to do a little look at faith. Because you're going to find that faith is a pin that this whole book rests upon, or pivots on. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. If I read verses 1 and 2, I'll preach, I don't have time. Romans twelve three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? That God went to everybody in this room and he measured you out some faith. Didn't he? My little boy Jonathan, there he is right there. That little rascal believe anything you tell him. We we can ask Jonathan, where does Jesus live? He'll tell you up. He asked you, why did Jesus die? Because Jonathan was a bad boy. He believes in God. Now, you know what one day it'll happen? God forbid. He'll go to a public school somewhere, or go to a university somewhere and some professor that he respects because of his position and because he's he's, uh, uh, overcome by all of this, that one of the professors goes up and says, you know something, Jonathan Bennett? That's the stupidest thing i ever heard of God. That's one of the dumbest things i ever heard of to say that God made all of this. I just can't believe that you think that some God did that. I can't believe you think that Bible's real, that that God parted an entire ocean and all those millions walked across on dry shod. When in actuality, the water was only six inches deep and they waded across it. They got their ankles wet. And then some men are going to get up and take that young mind and try and tell him that this stuff's all old fables and old fairy tales and all a bunch of garbage. You know what they're going to do? They're going to destroy his faith. Won't they? You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I pulling pulling me with you? They're going to to say, this is a bunch of garbage. I heard yesterday on the radio, the guy was talking about, um, about, um, uh, people that had been discriminated against for what their beliefs. And he was citing PhDs and professors of, of the entire departments that had lost their jobs because they were creationists. They said, if you're so infantile that you believe in creation, then you don't work here anymore. He talked about one guy who had his earned PhD and was had more books and publications out than anybody else's old apartment at the University of Oklahoma, and he lost his job as a laborer in the oil field because he believed that God made the earth. 1985 that happened. See, they're going to destroy the faith. But what did Jesus say? Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Except you come like a little child. He says, yeah, do part with me. Why? Because we adults reason it out too much, don't we? We lose our faith. We take this faith we've got and we just destroy it, man. We just lose the thing. Now, turn into Philippians. Philippians is back towards the rear of your Bible, about four or five books. Philippians, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians 2.13. If you hit Colossians, you're too far. Now, remember, God has given every man the of faith. You've got to get that thing now, okay? If Philippians 2.13 says... For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. See that thing? Drop down to verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which Jesus Christ. Now you say, why did you bring those up talking about faith? I brought it up to tell you this. Friend, you're not going to seek God. God's going to draw you. And friend, you don't have faith yourself. God gives it to you. There is nothing that you've got that will get you to God. There's nothing that you've got that will draw you to God. You don't have the faith, God gave it to you to believe in Him. Is that going to be a day when you stand before God and you can't say, "Well, God, I started 97 churches in my lifetime and I passed the 312, and Lord, I want 10 million people to cry. God says, "No, you didn't, because you didn't do anything except I gave you all the power to do it. Well Lord, I believed in you know you didn't. I drew you to me and gave you the faith to believe in me also. Why? So that no, no flesh should go into sight? Right? So God gave us everything. So you don't have anything at all that's yours. God gave you a measure. Can't you see God in heaven measuring out that faith and handing it to you? Can't you see him taking that faith and measuring it out? Turn to Romans chapter 10. Back where we were. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9. Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth the righteous, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is rich unto all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at verse 14 very carefully. How then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You follow what he says? How can they call on God and not believe on him? And how can they believe on him if they don't know that Jesus Christ ever lived? And how can they believe or call upon him or believe on him if nobody's ever told them? Make sense? Verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good bring glad tidings of good things. I got a preacher, friend. Who always takes off his shoe and shows you his foot when he preaches that thing. He talks about that verse. That's because his feet are beautiful. <sighs> you gotta start to act like Episcopalians now. <laughs> verse 16. But they have not but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How'd you get your faith? Right there. That's how you got it. You got your faith by hearing the word of God. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out unto all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the earth. Everybody's heard. Did you hear me? Everybody's heard. now you know what God did? when you were a little boy, a little girl, whatever God gave you men a faith and if you by your own intellect, your own greatness, your own thoughts have destroyed that faith, then God said, when my word comes, that faith will come and you'll believe. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what then goes backwards. We go from a man saved, hearing, then the book lets him hear. it was backwards. Then a preacher's got to go to tell him, doesn't he? After the preacher goes to tell him, then somebody's got to send the preacher out, right? And it starts all over again because they heard. And so that's God's cycle, God's program, God's process for the whole thing. So without hearing, you can't have faith. So you can't have faith. Now, God has given everybody a measure of faith. I told you earlier, you know you lose your faith by like going to Bible college, he said, "Oh, come on! Bible colleges are good, aren't they? Some of them." I have seen more young men come out of our church, loving this book and in love with this book, to go preach it, and come back to Bible college saying, "Well, this is just a book like any other book. This book's got errors in it. This book's got problems." I see men come out, and I've watched—I've watched them For the last ten years. I've watched my peers, my age, go off. One young man I'm thinking of in particular—he's got a youth pastor up in um up in Indiana right now. I mean, at one time, when I was really getting excited about the Word of God, he was leading the thing, man. Same age I am. Leading the thing. Just loved the book. Knew the book. I mean, really knew it. Went off to Calvary Bible College. He's, he's neutralized. doesn't believe it anymore. So we're, we're teaching infidelity. And why? Because Satan attacks the book. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Yea, as God said. Amen? You with me? Now, let's not let our faith be destroyed. The Bible says every word of God is pure. Is it pure? Amen? Then it's pure. If, we just, if our faith is destroyed, it's not pure anymore. And the Bible says in Psalm 119, because thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Well, if I believe it's pure, I love it. If I don't believe it's pure, I won't love it. Amen? So if we have got a bunch of preachers all over America today who don't know the book, who don't preach the book, why? Because they don't love the book. Difference. That's it. When you hear the word of God, that faith was given to you. And then when you receive Jesus, hence 2 Peter 1 says, to all those who have obtained like, precious faith. Now turn back to 2 Peter chapter 1. I gotta draw this to a close. Now I'm gonna go real fast here, and I got some real meat. Okay? That's all been an introduction. <laughs> okay? All right, some real meat, so you hang on. This is gonna be you're gonna like this. Get 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 in one hand, and in the other hand grab Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith. Let me just do this for the first time in our church's history. How many people here by a public testimony would say, I have obtained like precious faith? Let me see your hand. I have obtained that faith. I'm saved. I'm born again. Amen. Put your hands Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You mean there's a couple kinds of faith and a couple kinds of believing? You can ask any godless man who's got religion, if he believes in God and what he'll say. Yeah, I believe in God. Is he saved? Probably not. You know why? There's a faith to the believing of the saving of the soul. See the difference? You know what Peter's saying in chapter 1, verse 1? Hey, the world out there is going to hell. The world out there is rejecting the truth. They've turned away. And and there's just a few of us, he's saying, I'm writing to you that have got that precious faith who've not drawn back to perdition, who've not turned your back on God and walked out. I'm talking to those of you who live by faith, the just, and who aren't going back. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Hebrews. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Drop down to verse six for time's sake. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Is that what the Bible saying, if you're going to believe in God, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, my friend, then there's something to it. And there's a price to be paid. And there's a faith that you obtain that has, got to be, that has got to be held on to. The Bible is in essence saying that if you get that faith, you're not going back. We're not of them that go back to perdition. We're not of those that, 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 that draw back. He says, my soul has no pleasure with them in 1038. I don't want any part of those guys that come in on sunny morning all dressed up and hot and fit to kill and they go out there on Friday night in the tabernacle. I don't want anything to do with them. I want somebody who's put their, they've obtained a precious faith. A faith that is, that is worth something to them. A faith that we'll, they're willing to give up something for. You say, why do you say that? Well, if you look back, if you get your finger in 2 Peter 1 again, if you look down there about verse um, verse 6. He says, through preliminaries, he says now in verse uh, verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. He takes verse 1 in that precious faith. He says, now, all you people that have obtained a faith you die for, then I'm talking to you. And then he goes on and continues his, his little oration there, and he said, okay, back to faith. Let's take that precious faith that we've got and we're not going to turn back and let's add to that faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance patience and patience godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound they make you achieve not be barren or unfruitful. And he says but if you lack these things you're blind and you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Why? Because you left your faith. You've left your faith. Chapter 2, false teachers. You know, the great, turn over. Chapter 2, verse um, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22. Everybody who believes that you can lose your salvation will run to 2 Peter 3, 18, 19, 20, 21 and say, if you've once received the knowledge and turn away, it's impossible to be renewed again to repentance. Hey, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the people who Got the faith and didn't believe the saving of the soul. They turned back and drew back. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. And you see how it fits together. Am I like communicating? Those people, the whole book is for apostasy. Remember that. How are you, as a saved, born-again believer, going to live in a world of people who've rejected the truth? We hate to do it. You go to those who obtain light, precious faith. And that's the basis this work started on right here. I went around and God opened some doors for me to preach here and to preach there. And I got up and preached the word of God. Came through that thing. You know what happened? A lot of you said, yeah, I like that. Not me, but the book. And you said, I like that thing. And you said, yeah, I want to go with him. Why? We have light, precious faith. We get together. We sing all oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. And life, precious faith. So Peter starts the whole book out, and he says, life, precious faith. All you guys have got something you cherish like I have. I'm talking to you. And he says, now, you've got that faith that you're not going to turn your back on. Well, let's take that faith, and let's build on it now. Let's take that faith, and let's, let's make you something. Let's make you a man or a woman of God. Let's solve your marital problems. Let's solve the problem with your kids or your family. Let's go out and, through the, through the faith that God's given us, build a life that's, that's a monument to Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And so henceforth, as we take that thing and we look at it and begin to, to come through the Word of God, you'll find that that precious faith is pivotal. That precious faith is something that you take, and if you've obtained it, then you can't turn back. You see, these old boys that say you can lose your salvation... They take that thing and they say, well, how can a man that gets that precious faith go out there and sin like he's living, like he's living? You know what the answer is? He can't. I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying I couldn't go have a beer tonight and, and find myself a loose woman. I'm not saying I couldn't do that because I have the capability to do that. What I'm saying is I won't. Why would I turn my back on such precious faith? That's why Paul said in Hebrews. That, that uh, I, I, my soul has no pleasure. In those who draw back, they're perdition. Not any part of those guys that come around, and then First John says that they went out from us because they were not of us. That it might be manifest that they were not of us. See okay, what we're gonna do? We got. I gotta make take counts. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 24 That's a Baptist preacher's wife. You got twenty-four people here. Unfortunately, in six months we're going to have a mortality rate. Probably half of you won't be here in six months. We'll have more come. We're going to grow. You say, why are you going to grow? Because we're not have the book. God's book, God's church. Now, here's the thing. We're going to watch this thing. I love every one of you. Believe every one of you as far as I, you know, everyone, you know and then you tell me I believe you. Say, so I'm saved, praise God. I'm just going to watch your life. If you're here in a year, i believe you. i believe you now. You just prove it by being here in a year. See? Flashing pans. A bunch of Christians come in, man, like a shooting star. Come in in glory. I can play the piano. I can sing special. I can give the most money. I can do everything. And they come in, and they are it. And in the year, they're gone. Peter says, I'm writing to people who have obtained a faith that is so precious that they're not going to draw back. They're not going to give anything for it why? Because the rest of the book talks about the world going to hell around them about all the Christians who are out perverting souls about the, rest of the about the rest of the um, rest of the world and all the false teachers out there sent them into hell see that's the theme of the whole book so he starts off in verse one he says now if you're out there as a false teacher I'm not writing to you I I'm any part of you all I want out of you is someone Someone who has obtained that precious faith. And now we're going to build upon that precious faith. Now we take that precious faith and we begin to see your life as a foundation. Your life then begins to build a house. And we'll talk about that in weeks to come. But that precious faith, my friend, has got to be the thing in which God uses your life and makes you something that's stable. And that precious faith is not something we can give this morning something you see this morning but the preciousness is relative to you. How much do you value it? Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life? Be my king? Like in Sunday school this morning which king are you going to follow? Are you going to be my king or am I going to be my own king or follow the God of this world? Remember he prepared a hell for that king and his angels, and you can join him if you like that kingdom. That's fine. Got a lot of glamour to it. Got a lot of things to it. You can join that kingdom.